Well, this morning, we continue in our sermon series, uh, Church in the Life of the Spirit. And this morning is a little bit of an unusual um, sermon, or at least I usually just have one text that I preach from, but I have four texts this morning. And really, I want to tell the story of the Holy Spirit in creation. And so I have um, text from Genesis, Psalm 104, which we've already heard a lot from, and also from the Gospel of Luke. So from Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Psalm 104, verses 27 through 30. These all look to you, that is, the animals, the creation, to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And finally, Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Father, we pray you pour out your Holy Spirit, pray out uh, the spirit of life and creation is also the spirit of understanding. And so may he do double work this morning <laughs> as the one who upholds our life, but also as the one who illumines our minds to his own work. So we pray in his name. Amen. Most Christians think too spiritually about the Holy Spirit. We have an overly spiritualized Holy Spirit. And the chief sign of this tendency for us to over-spiritualize the Spirit is to think of the Spirit as in opposition somehow or as contrasted to matter, bodies, material reality. And the reason we tend to do this is because we have a lopsided understanding of the Holy Spirit. We think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit primarily in religious categories, spiritual categories. The Spirit does holy things, religious things, right? Spiritual things. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit sanctifies us. The Spirit illumines. The Spirit prays in us. The Spirit generates faith. All of these things are absolutely true. However, before the Spirit was Redeemer Spirit, the Spirit was Creator Spirit. 
Before the Spirit was sanctifying believers, the Spirit was blowing into the human body the breath of life from the beginning of creation as can continue to do that with every child that is born, every child that is conceived in the womb of his mother or her mother, the Holy Spirit is breathing the breath of life into that child. It is not just the Father and the Son who are involved in creation, but the Holy Spirit as well. And what you see in the Bible when you read it across, across the whole of it is you see the Holy Spirit is always engaging material stuff. The Spirit likes to get dirty. The Spirit likes to get his hands in the soil, to get dirt under his fingernails, if the Spirit had fingernails, which the Spirit does not. I'm speaking metaphorically. And this is a truth not just of curiosity's sake. It makes a great deal of difference in how we understand all aspects of the work of the Spirit. Everything that the Bible says about the Spirit's work in creation is necessary for understanding the meaning of the Spirit's work in redemption. The creation work of the Spirit has big implications for understanding what the Bible means by spirituality. Without an understanding of Creator Spirit, our understanding of the spiritual life is dangerously cut loose from the body and of material reality. And I think that's evident in our culture. By our very preference for the words like spirituality over against, say, the word religion. We like spirituality, we don't like religion, right? We like spiritual things, but not dogma or doctrine or institutions or ritual. I'm spiritual, not religious. Have you heard this before? <laughs> I'm spiritual, not religious. This is a creed almost today. Being spiritual, of course, can entail belief in God and a higher power, but being spiritual is in a sense that spirit or religious things aren't necessarily nailed down or attached to anything specific, unless of course you want them to be, but then you can't necessarily force them on others. Spirituality is about looking inward to find your true self, which does not necessarily depend upon your body or material realities. The spirituality is moving past organized religion or it's breaking through the barriers set by tradition dogma, doctrine, institutions, to find your own fulfillment, spiritually speaking. And what I've described to you here is merely a contemporary form of what is a very ancient heresy in the church called Gnosticism. Gnosis means knowledge or special secret knowledge. Gnosticism is the teaching that puts an immaterial, invisible spiritual reality in opposition to the material, bodily, created realities. To be spiritual is to be liberated from the body, right? The givenness of our human bodies, or at least not to be constrained by that. Liberated from institutions and forms and doctrines. And there are an infinite variety of ways in which this manifests itself in our culture. And in a secular age such as ours, Christianity is not the official religion of America, but it's Gnosticism. Another description of this Gnostic spirituality is, is more scientifically captured in a social scientific way by the work of Christian Smith in his book Soul Searching, which he wrote in 2009. 
and Smith and another woman, they did extensive interviews of teenagers um, across faith traditions, Christian, Evangelical, Catholic, Mormon, is uh, Muslim. And they asked young people, teenagers, um, about their spiritual life. And as they began to sort of um, reflect on all the data and all the, the answers, uh, Smith coined a phrase which has become very well known in, in many circles to describe the spiritual life of teenagers. And, and this, of course, applies beyond just teenagers, right? Those teenagers now are, you know, some of you sitting here. Um, but they're, they're, they're parents as well, which is moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. Moralistic therapeutic deism. That's the purpose of religion. The purpose of religion is to make you a good person to give you morals. The purpose of religion is to make you happy. It should make you happy, it shouldn't make you sad. And, and the vision of God is one of deism, and that's a, that's a word that means that it's a view of God that like God created the world and he just set it in motion like a clockmaker. He wound up the clock and he steps back and he doesn't really intervene unless we really need him to intervene. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Again, this is a different kind of Gnostic spirituality. And the role of the spirit in this framework is generally always to lead us to uh, self-discovery, self-fulfillment, the inner sort of realities. Understanding the biblical category of creator spirit gives us a radically different account of the spiritual life. It is not a spirituality that liberates us from the body or material creation but one that teaches us the true meaning of what it means to be a creature. It is not a spirituality where God stays at a distance unless we need him, but one where God's presence is closer to us than we are to ourselves. It is not a spirituality of self-discovery and self-perfection, but it is a spirituality of union with Jesus Christ. It is not a spirituality that turns us into ourselves, to, in the search for meaning, but it actually turns us outward in covenantal love to the world. And so in the, the rest of this sermon, what I wanna do with you is I just, I wanna explore with you the meaning of creator spirit and what that means and how that impacts our, our view of spirituality. And I wanna begin with ref, a reflection which comes from the Nicene Creed, which we'll say in a little bit. And there's that phrase in the third article of the Creed about the Holy Spirit, he is the Lord and the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. What does this mean? To say that the Holy Spirit is the Lord is to recognize that the Spirit is God himself, not merely an effect of God, not merely an energy of God, an emissary of God. The Spirit is God, the very presence of God. To say that the Spirit is giver of life is to recognize that the Spirit is the actual source of all life, all things living, whether those be human, animal, or plants, anything that has life. And we see this clearly illustrated in the creation account from Genesis 2, if you take a look there, in verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. You can imagine God the imagery here is of God like a, like a potter, and he is molding together out of clay and dirt the form of a man. And then God bends down and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man 
becomes a living creature. And the word here for breath that's repeated a couple times is the Hebrew word ruach, which is the same word for spirit in the Bible, in the Hebrew. Ruach. It's also translated wind or breath or spirit, depending on the context. And even though this is not a a direct allusion to the Spirit's work, the Spirit is clearly there at work. It's the same word we see, ruach, in Genesis 1-2, where it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Ruach Elohim, the the Spirit of God. In the book of Job's, Elihu, who um, is one of Job's uh, friends, speaks of this Spirit, and he says this. He says, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath, the ruach, of God the Almighty gives me life. The imagery here is quite vivid, right? You have God forms a man from the dirt and the soil and the earth, and he bends down and he breathes into him. He inflates him like a balloon that comes to life. Formlessness becomes form. That which did not have life has life now. The Spirit of God breathes into us the breath of life. And what is this breath of life? It is to be living as opposed to dead. It is to be animated as opposed to inanimate. We do not possess life in ourselves. And it's not just spiritual life, but all biological life comes from the spirit of God. All life, spiritual life, biological life, finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Of course, there is a distinction between spiritual life and biological life, but they have the same source. And this means that the opposite of spirit in the world is not body. The opposite of spirit in the world is not matter. The opposite of spirit is death. The opposite of spirit is death. Life in God's spirit is life against death. Life that overcomes death. When death comes into creation, it is because the life-giving presence of the Creator's Spirit in one form or another has been withdrawn from the scene and things go back to dust. That's what the teaching is in Psalm 104. If you look, these all look to you, all the animals, the mice, the birds, the fish, the dinosaurs, everything. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And when you hide your face, they are dismayed. And when you take away your ruach, your breath, they die and return to the dust. And when you send forth your spirit, your ruach, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. And here we have animal life itself waiting upon God's spirit and God's presence moment to moment. The spirit as creator is a very presence of life itself, such that if the spirit withdraws himself from the creation, creation ceases to be living. Now the picture here that emerges is that all of life, moment by moment, lives and exists by radical dependence upon the Creator Spirit. This is the very opposite of the view of deism, which I mentioned earlier, which is God is a clockmaker, then he's wound the clock up and he has stepped back and it does its thing. 
The creation is not independent of the creator. God didn't simply set things in motion. God is moment by moment sustaining and upholding all of our lives by the breath of his mouth, which means he is near to us. He is nearer to us than we can possibly imagine because he's always upholding our existence. And that's not to say that the creation doesn't have its own integrity. It has its own God-given independence, but that independence and that freedom is always grounded in his being, his continual yes to the creation, his continual rejoicing in his creation. And this again is not to be confused with another error on the other extreme of deism, which we call pantheism, which is the idea that somehow God is creation, that you can't really distinguish between God and the created reality. I would remind you again of what we say in the creed. He is the Lord and the giver of life. He is independent. He does not need creation to be God. His existence does not depend upon our existence, but ours depends absolutely and completely upon him. And what you might say about this is this is a spirituality, if you want to talk in the language of spirituality, of radical dependence. It is a spirituality of creaturehood. It is when you recognize that your, this, your creatureliness, it humbles you. It makes you realize that you do not possess life in yourself. You cannot give yourself life. You wait upon another. It should also lead us to a posture of gratitude. It says that everything I have and everything I've received comes as gift. It comes from outside of me. It's not entitled to me. I didn't earn it. I am created. I did not self-create. I am dependent. I am like the grass that withers. I am not the captain of my own ship. I am not the master of my own destiny. After Job, the righteous man, had everything taken away from him, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the creed of one who understands the spirituality of being a creature. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But not only is the creator's spirit the source of life, the one who moment by moment sustains all life, the spirit as God's presence in the world brings about fertility and fruitfulness and flourishing, growth and vitality. Again, the spirit brings dead things alive, inanimate things to life. Just like water that flows through the desert, will, life will come alive and vegetation, so with the spirit. The spirit and the presence of the spirit makes things grow. Jesus, of course, is, this is what he's talking about and what we saw in John 7 earlier. Jesus described the flowing water and streams as like the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. And water in the Bible is often associated with the presence of God's life-giving spirit. 
And we see this in particular in Ezekiel 47, which is one of my, my favorite verse, uh, chapters in the Bible. This is a vision this, that Ezekiel has of the future, where the holy presence of God is streaming down from the temple in Jerusalem, down throughout the whole land, converging as the water piles up into a river that is bigger and bigger and bigger and flooding everything. But instead of creating destruction, bringing life, let me read a few of the verses to you from that and reflect with you. This water, this is in verse eight, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. Now remember the Dead Sea, which is still there, is one of the lowest places on earth, and it has a salinity that is so high that nothing can live in it. It is a place of death. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. He's speaking of this flow from the temple. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. The imagery here is that, that, that the water from the temple, right, hits the water of death and just overpowers it and reverses it. And where nothing could live in that water, now all of a sudden, things just start coming alive in that water. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the fruit, from the sanctuary flows to them. And their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Things that come into God's temple presence come alive. And this scene here, of course, harkens back to the Garden of Eden, which was itself its own temple. The whole creation, as God makes it, is a temple. And the Garden of Eden is a holy of holies. It is a place, if you remember even from hearing, there's mists. There's, it's watered. It's a well-watered place. It is a place that the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And because of that, there is bounty. There is fruit. There is all kinds of beautiful things. Edenic bounty and fruitfulness. And what we see in this, this prophecy with this vision of the future is what we see is two things come together. We see the Spirit's work as creator and the Spirit's work as redeemer come together into one. That the redemptive work of the Spirit will ultimately reach its fulfillment in a new creation. So it's not just creator spirit, it's recreator spirit. This is a prophecy of the Spirit's work of new creation. And this, pa this passage of Ezekiel doesn't just look back to Eden. It actually looks to the very last chapter of the Bible as well. Revelation 22 very directly evokes this scene from Ezekiel. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God, the temple and of the lamb. <laughs> Here you have the water of life flowing out of God's temple and throne, which is Jesus Christ, the lamb and the father at his side. Through the middle of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree 
or for the healing of the nations. Someday, friends, the Holy Spirit will be fully released as the recreator spirit upon the whole creation from top to bottom. He will bring renewal. He will go into the dead seas of our lives and of our planet, and he will bring life. Friends, the Dead Sea is a good metaphor for the death that surrounds us and that we live in. It is environmental devastation. It is, it includes cities and nations gripped by violence and poverty and equity and racism. It includes broken families and relationships. It includes broken hearts because of tragedy and loss. It includes broken minds, broken by crippling mental illness. It includes bodies that are slowly breaking down and losing life. There are so many places in our lives that are dead seas where things can hardly survive, where nothing grows or thrives, where there's just hostility to life. And these are cities and neighborhoods. These are homes and hearts and bodies and minds where death has made great inroads and is slowly taking over. But someday the Holy Spirit will flow into these Dead Sea zones and reverse the flow of death and bring life. And that is the promise of the spirit of new creation. Creator spirit becomes recreator spirit. But the work of the spirit as creator um, is very hard for us to discern. It is a universal work that touches every living thing, every living human being. The spirit continues to be the invisible source of all biological life and by his mighty presence sustains all of life, everything that lives and moves and breathes. But it is a hidden work. It is an invisible as the, Holy, as the spirit himself is invisible. It is a work that we cannot simply observe by looking at the operations of creation. We cannot even infer it indirectly. The only way we can know about this work is through divine revelation. The spirit today continues to be at work as creator spirit and is already at work in the life of God's children as recreator spirit. But it is hard to see because of our sinfulness, because of the great ruin of our creation. But again, someday, as both Ezekiel and Revelation foretell, the spirit will be fully visible, fully manifest, and his work will be no longer hidden. But there is one place there is one place where we can look to see the work of the recreator spirit, where it is visible and plain, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps you've been curious for many years now about that part in the creed which we say, and it's in both creeds, the Nicene and the Apostles, where it says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What is the significance of this? Both nativity scenes in both Matthew and in Luke mention the Holy Spirit, mention that specifically the Holy Spirit played a central role in the birth of Jesus. If you remember when the angel in the Gospel of Luke comes to Mary and announces that she'll be with child, her natural, instinctual, reasonable response is, well, how will this be? For I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. And the angel says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Now, most of us, I think, and myself included, tend to think that the Holy Spirit in this story here is necessary simply because we need a miracle. We need a miracle. It's biologically impossible for a woman to have a baby without the cooperation of a man. So how is this virgin able to conceive a child? And that is the miracle part of the story, and it is true. But I want to draw your attention to the language of holiness here. Here we have the Holy Spirit creating a holy child, the Son of God. This is a story about the birth of the second Adam. It is the first official act of new creation. The first official act of new creation. Just as the creator spirit at the beginning of time blew the breath of life into the first Adam and he became a living being, now the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the creation of the second Adam. The overshadowing work of the Holy Spirit that Luke describes here should draw our attention back to Genesis 1-2 where it says, the Spirit of God hovered, overshadowed, overshadowed the waters. And just as the Spirit of God overshadowed the waters of primeval creation, now the Spirit of God is overshadowing the waters of the womb of this, of this virgin woman. We have the first act of a second creation in the person of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And the second Adam, as we know, is no ordinary human being. He is the son of the Most High. He is very God and very man. The second Adam is not God's take two, let's try it again and see if we get it right this time. The second Adam is God incarnate, the second person of the Holy Trinity. His humanity is as real as yours and mine, but his is a perfect humanity. His is the prototype of a new humanity, perfect in righteousness and holiness and justice and love. And the Spirit of God played a central role in knitting together that humanity in the womb of Mary. And someday all of those, all of you who are in Jesus Christ will become like him. You will become holy, just, perfectly righteous. Someday those who are in Jesus Christ will experience the full renovation of new creation by the power of the Spirit of new creation. And someday when Jesus returns, the Holy Spirit will be fully unleashed within all creation like a flowing river. And everything he touches, he will transform. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the power of life. I pray um, where we need life, in the dead sea zones of our life that you would pour your spirit about there. And that even though the promise and the hope of full renovation is still out ahead of us, give us a taste now in our hearts, in our bodies. Give us just a taste now of what is to come and help us to, to put our hope, our hope in that, in that renovation and teach us what it means to be utterly dependent spiritually and biologically on your presence, O oh Lord. Teach us to be creatures. Teach us to be creatures, though, that have been redeemed and set free in, in your Son.
and his perfect humanity. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.